Hello everyone, it's Gregor from A19 Consulting and this video is for the common UAT pitfalls. So for user acceptance testing, I'm going to cover the typical issues that can derail a heat project. Now this is for Avanti Heat ISM. I am a Avanti consultant. Um, I have been an Avanti consultant, by the way, since 1996 for heat. I've started in the heat for DOS days. I've also done the Frivanti service manager, Avanti asset manager, development consulting that is, and worked internationally in North America, Europe, Asia, New Zealand, Australia, Fortune 500 clients, private Swiss banks, all sorts of sectors, and Avanti business partners as well, a worldwide. So, you know, I'm focused on Avanti Heat. But really, these common UAT pitfalls, you can apply, you know, in theory, this to pretty much any other user acceptance testing, right? So user acceptance testing, UAT, is where some of the Avanti EIs and projects tend to fall apart. So today, I'm going to cover those pitfalls, some recommendations and best practices to put your Avanti E project back on track. You know, you've got development, you've got your QA, you've got UAT and prod in a nutshell, right? I mean, there's more to it. I've got a video of implementation milestones you want to review. But what you typically find is everything is going great and in gathering the requirements in the workshops. Um, people are collaborating, excited. Um, you go to system testing, QA, and then you make the system available for user acceptance testing. And, you know, it's almost like poker can be a, a coin flip. Some organizations embrace UAT and other organizations struggle. Sometimes it's surprising. Sometimes it's the, the very techie people that have an issue with, you know, in following UAT versus some folks that are less technical working in a, in a, in a role that's strictly non-technical and they're able to follow the procedure. But let me just cover all the different pitfalls and give you some ideas of how to over, overcome them. So the biggest one by far is not having UAT test script. You know, UAT test script, I have a video on as well. It, in a nutshell, is the validation of business requirements. And that's essential, as is having a proper UAT test plan. And your UAT test scripts are a must-have. So those scripts and watch that in my other video are basically a recipe for here's what we're wanting to do here's our business process right I want to be able to fill a sales order I want to be able to log an enhancement request a service request an incident here's the parameters here's my input here's my policy my procedures what's expected of me in my day-to-day -day operations and then here's the expected result so you need to have those scripts, otherwise you don't have a plan and you're just going in testing and maybe you're testing all the right things, but more than likely you're not testing what you're supposed to be testing is the, the main validation of business requirement. And the other thing is there's typically a lot of requirements. So how do you know what you're testing? How do you track and oversee that? Well, that's where the test scripts come in. So think about test scripts. Um, similar to being a chef in the kitchen, and you need to be able to understand what app appliances you have available to you, what 
food you have available to you, what the menu looks like, and what the operating procedures are for some of the equipment, and what you expect it to make, and you know what the staff with you is expected to make, and what the end result is, right? Which is that surfing surf works out. So I've got a video on that, but you need to have UAT test scripts. Otherwise, you're just milly vanilla testing things, and you might be able to get away with that for smaller projects. Um, you know, but you also, on the flip side, using a lot of resources when you could have easily organized that. And here's the other thing, and I'm covering this in my other video for test script, is when you're doing regression testing or if there's feature upgrades and so on, you need to be able to come back to what you've tested in the past and retest, right? And you need to be able to communicate with the developer as well and the consultant where the issues lie, right? Otherwise, you're stuck using Excel, using Word, and then you're you're spending a good couple hours to a few days of just reviewing what people are finding, and it's a reiteration of the same thing ten times over because you've got ten different testers, and and it's not organized, right? So, number one, you need to have UAT test scripts. Well, having them is great, but another pitfall is not using them, right? So if you're not using them and you decide to do your own thing, well, how do you know you're going in the right direction? Execution is, is key. You need to be able to follow them, so we need to be able to validate the business requirements, and then you need to have a UAT lead that works closely with the test team to understand, to make sure the test team and understand what's expected of them. And that's the next point, and this is a biggie, is, is a lot of companies are not following the UAT support structure. So like with any process or procedure, it's important to understand the support structure. Like who's responsible for what, who do you escalate things to, where do you go for help, right? So the UAT team members must know who to turn to when there are questions or issues. The UAT lead is responsible for coordinating the test script with the team and ensuring the team members know what's expected. So in the event that there are questions, the lead can answer that or channel it to the right individual, right? And you know, and, and that's the, the old saying, together everyone achieves more. It's really a team effort. So you need to also make sure you have regular meetings, which I'll cover in a second. And you need to know who to ask procedural questions, so that's usually your decision maker, versus software questions, like how do I use Heat? How do I use my web browser to do a search, right? Those kind of things, who's your training lead, right? So you need to know who the go-to people are, and you need to be able to proper challenge that, uh, or channel that, and then the UAT lead can also escalate to the decision maker or the consultant when there are some, 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 some items that need further clarification. But you need to follow the support structure because otherwise what happens is you have an inbox full of emails that's addressed to the world. No one's taking any real responsibility sometimes. Everyone has an opinion and then it just becomes a long rant. And email, as you've probably seen by my other uh, video, Email is really a productivity tool from the 90s or the year 2000. I mean, now it's less of a productivity tool, really, right? There are a better way of doing things. So the support structure is important. And you need to be able to collaborate, right? If, if you're not collaborating, um, 
that's a problem. That's a huge problem because then the UAP testers are working in silos, creating their own list of all the problems they find, um, whereas they should be looking at solutions, right? And if you will be working with the team, just because you think something's a problem, well, check with the team and the team member might say, oh, no, no, that's not a problem. That is the procedure. Could be a procedural thing. Oh, no, no, no. This is how you do, you know, this is a how-to. You do it in this system. How, here's how you do this lookup. So it could be a training issue, right? But through collaboration, you're able to overcome some of those challenges, right? And some of those questions. And you don't want to work in a silo because then you're spinning a lot of wheels and you've got 10 testers each doing the same thing, getting frustrated about the same thing, coming up with a long list of problems. And, you know, and that doesn't help anyone. So if you have regular meetings, that's one way of ensuring that the voices are heard and that you're identifying what the issues are, right? So that's another pitfall. If you don't have internal meetings, how do you know that everyone's on the same page? So one of the best practices is to have a regular stand-up UAP meeting. It's daily at first, right? Until you have some momentum. And then from there, you might move it to weekly. And you'll get the sense of that. If in the daily meeting, it's just like, yep, yeah, we're working on the script. Everything's going great. Don't have any questions. Well, you can make it every two days. You can make it every three days. Make it every week. You'll develop a, a sense of that as you go along. But you need to start daily because otherwise it's just forgotten. Everyone waits until the day before and then just raises flags. So if you do it daily, you can also make sure the team understands what's going on. They might have some questions. It could be an internal thing. How would you do X? What about this procedure? And oh, wasn't there a change in the standard operating procedure? Those kind of things, right? And you want to find solutions. The learning curve, that's a pitfall. I mean, you know, any new software product or a major feature has a, a learning curve. Heat is no different. Like moving from Excel to Heat, or even moving from Heat Classic to Heat ISM has a, a learning curve. And even a new major functionality within Heat has a learning curve. Without the support structure, the collaboration, the internal meetings, that learning curve can be detrimental. It's important that any issues, no matter how big or small, are channeled to the right individual, you know, in the team. That's what the team is there for, to support each other, and then talk to the UAP lead, talk to the training lead, and then if needed, um, you know, if you still need a sense of direction and you have some questions, you can make a list of items that you want to talk to the heat consultant with. Right, um, and this is where the A19 UAP test script module, which I have another video on, comes in, because you have the ability to review all the test scripts, make notes, pass or fail, and then create comments for the consultant. So the consultant is monitoring what you're testing and knows what's going on, and they can send you a note. They can update that test case, maybe you're failing something and, the and giving the consultant a note saying, well, we, we did this, we expected that, and the consultant can then update that and identify if it's an issue or if it's something procedural or whatever, right? The point is, there's a learning curve, you need to collaborate and use the test script module to make sure that everyone's on the same page. Terminology. 
Now this can be a biggie in some companies, right? When you're implementing a new system, there's often new terminology or a change in terminology. Maybe you've got a, a restructure of the company. Maybe there's some other changes. Maybe it's just a matter of technical or business-related terminology, right? Any questions about the terminology should be logged by the UAP and reviewed with the decision maker. And if needed, raise it to the heat consultant. If something needs to change, a label needs to change because you know the terminology is not what you're using, that's something that needs to be discussed, right? Is it a showstopper? No, but it's important because otherwise, UAT testers are confused. It's as simple as updating the UAT test scripts and saying, by the way, when we're using this terminology, this is what it can also be referred to, right? A simple note like that, aka, right? Incident, aka, break fix, aka, help desk ticket, right? That's the terminology. As simple as that, just makes it a lot easier for the testers to know what you're referring to. Resistance to change. Everyone is guilty of this one. Change is inevitable. I can't talk today. Change is inevitable. I still can't pronounce it. The only constant really is change, right? Uh, it's a human instinct to resist change. And change needs to be enforced by the decision maker and supported by UAP, right? Sometimes the best answer is to re-emphasize. This is the new way of doing things, and gradually over time, users will adapt. If you move into Excel and you move into a web-based system, right, that's in the cloud, well, there's going to be some resistance there. There's going to be a learning curve. And yeah, in Excel, you did things this way. You know, you did you, your search and replace this way, and in the new system, you do it a different way, right? That's just the way it is. It's, it's a new system. There's a learning curve. And it's, it's just like, like with everyone else, it takes time, right? Anything that you're doing, anything that you've done, there's a change. Another big issue is not following or understanding the business process or procedure. The key to remember is that the business drives technology, not the other way around, right? So the focus is always on the business requirements and the operating procedures, right? So it's not about features, it's not about the window dressing, it's not about minimizing the clicks and designing a form and, 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 and creating screenshots of which field should be where. That's all a nice to have and UI is covered later on, but we're focusing on the business requirements. What do we need to be able to do? We need to be able to have a software catalog of all the licenses that we own, when they expire, what contracts they're tied to, what entitlements we have, and we need to be able to search it, right? Those are business requirements. Not, I need to be able to click this field and that field, and I want to be able to click a button that does X, Y, Z. Those are technical requirements or nice to have, right? So again, the focus is on the business requirements. And this is where some UAT testers get stuck because they think they're part of the development of the software and developing UI. And to an extent, you have an input on that, but really we want to make with UAT, that's not the focus. The focus is validating that you're able 
to do what the business sets out to be a requirement. And the decision maker is the best person to help you with understanding what that process procedure looks like. So when we had a software asset catalog and we had an Excel and we kept our contracts on this shared drive and we updated it on the third sheet from the right and we updated these cells and those cells and that, you know, that's what you want to basically look at and and say, okay, what are those requirements? We're capturing contracts, we're capturing entitlements, can we do that in the new system? And not understanding the UAT test script kind of falls into that, right? Some UAT testers might find that UAT test scripts are hard to follow. And remember, these scripts are built by the decision maker and UA and or UAT in your company. So to be sure to raise any questions you have and to make note of any improvements to UAT test scripts. So for example, I was just mentioning that if you have a, if you're using Excel now and you're updating one sheet or another for contracts and entitlements and 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 licenses and expiry dates, you know, those are the business requirements which you need to make notes of where to find that input data, where you find what the steps are, that's something that needs to be that needs to come from the business, needs to come from the operating procedures, right? I need to add, add an explanation to it. Kind of like you add a terminology, right? To when the old system is referred to this and the new system is that. And and remember, you can always change those test scripts down the road. Those test scripts are not written in stone. I think I have another point on that later, but you know, you, you, you may identify some issues with the script and that's, that's okay, that's good, but that's where again, the collaboration comes in, the regular status meetings come in, and then the UAT leader, the decision maker says, yeah, you know what, we need to update the script or we need a new script or no, we don't need the script after all, right? And that's okay. The main thing is that something is happening. Another biggie is not having UAT test data. That's a major issue. I mean, you might get away with using milli-vanilli data, so some arbitrary data, but the best practice is to always use real data and examples from your existing system. So whether that system is a sophisticated computer system, web-based system, maybe it's Excel, maybe it's even handwritten artifacts, maybe you've got handwritten sales orders, handwritten entitlement or list of software titles, whatever it is, right? Whatever you have now is what you need to have available for testing. So it accurately reflects the type of input the tester will be using in day-to-day -day operation. Simply put, like if you're replacing a help desk ticket system, use that ticket data, right? If you're replacing sales orders, use those sales orders. And similar to regression testing, which I have a video on as well, which is a story and a discussion for another day, is put your old system on the left-hand side and the new system on the right-hand side, and then go through the motions in your old system and replicate it in the new system. So if you're logging a ticket in the old system, okay, here it is, I've got ticket number so-and-so, let me log that in the new system. If I'm creating software assets, oh, here's how I create contracts in Excel on the left-hand side. Okay, let me try to do it on the right-hand side in here, right? But you need to have that test data. 
So you can have the system up in front of you, or you can print it out, right? Nowadays, we don't want to be killing trees all the time, and it's just the widescreen monitors, monitors are so nice to have it all up in front of you. But you want to get organized and have that available. So this is where the UAC lead should be working with you as well and identifying some, some great test data. Here's a biggie, focusing on nice-to-haves versus must-haves. And I can't stress it enough, and I probably sound like a broken record, and I could probably write a country song, but you're validating business requirements, the must-have requirements. We're not looking at minimizing the number of clicks. We don't want to nitpick the UI design. The UI design, we, you know, there's always room for improvement, and especially for UI, right? And that's where nice-to-have requests come in. And at that time, for those nice-to-have things, it's after UAT is complete and the business requirements have been signed off. This tends to be kind of where UAT testers get stuck and they're focusing on the window dressing instead of architecture and foundation. So if you're building a house, yeah, sure, there's some nice couches, there's some nice wallpaper, there's some nice curtains, there's some carpet, some hardwood flooring and all that stuff, right? But you need to have the architecture in place, you need to have the foundation in place, you need to have a plan of where you lay everything out, where things are going to be located, where the wiring, wiring is going to be, the plumbing is going to be. And then all that stuff is kind of towards the end. Obviously the flooring is you know, almost near the end, but the window dressing, the couch, you know, the, the, the fridge magnet, that can wait until later on. It is important, you want to make it a home, right? But it's not a must-have. Waiting until the final hour to ask for help. So this can happen a lot. You're working on a project and suddenly things go silent. And when things go silent, that's usually a sign is that the final hour is about to strike. And then, boom, you get a long-winded email with a list of 100 things. and or Word document, and, and now you got to spend all this time going through what are probably some minor things, right? But they look like big issues. Why? Well, because all the other pitfalls weren't addressed that we just covered. So, and again, it's the nice-haves versus the must-haves, and then any of the pitfalls we already covered. And ultimately, you're raising a red flag out of the blue with a long list of issues that could have easily been addressed before. Had you followed the structure, had you had your regular meetings, and had you used the test scripts and updated them and, and kept consulting in the loop, right? But it does tend to happen. It's, you know, it's not nice, but, you know, that's just how the way the cookie crumbles, as people say, right? Gaps. So although technically not a pitfall, the UAT team might stop testing altogether or raise flags when gaps are identified. So it kind of goes with the final hour, right? And the final hour is, oh, nothing is working, and oh, look, I found a gap, and I'm stopping testing. Well, <laughs> that's, first of all, that's the wrong approach altogether because you have 100 test scripts, and just because one item is failing doesn't mean you can test, you cannot test 99, right? If you build a house and everything is done, everything is great, but there's one item that you're still waiting on a part for and you don't have the faucet heads yet, well, that's not a big deal, right? It's not the end of the world. But 
gaps, although they're not a pitfall, are important. And actually, ironically, this is why we have test script in UHD testing. We are looking for gaps, right? So if you find a gap, that's a great thing. Some people look at, oh, that's horrible. The business requirement was missed. Well, this is why we're validating the business requirements to make sure we have not missed anything. You've got your test data available. You're comparing your old system to your new system. You've got your testers going in, doing their day-to-day -day business, and they're getting a sense of a warm and fuzzy that things are going well. Will you miss things? Maybe. Hopefully not, but it tends to happen, right? And when it does, then you're just going to look at, okay, how big of a gap is it? Is this something huge or is this something, you know, that's a, a nice to have or a must have for later, right? So you need to look at the showstopper and determine, is it a showstopper really? Can we live without it, right? You don't have to fuzzy dice on the rear view mirror. Well, that's okay. We can live without that. You bought a car and the ski rack didn't come in, but it's the middle of summer. Well, you can wait until winter, right? But if your car arrives and it doesn't start, well, that's a showstopper. But can it be fixed? Absolutely. It could be fixed overnight even, right? It could be a really easy thing to fix or a gap that can be filled really, really, really quickly. So don't stop everything you're doing. Keep on testing. And I think I have a video on that as well. So in summary, the best practice for Avanti DISM user acceptance testing is to ensure that you're following the UHD support structure, you've got UHD test scripts that you're actively using and maintaining, you've got real test data from your existing systems, and the team looks for solutions, not problems, collaborating, and focus on must-haves versus nice-to-haves. You know, it's not unlike test driving a new car you want to purchase. You take it for a spin, Take it through the motions of your day-to-day -day activities. You take it out on the highway. You go do some parking. You check the storage space. You check the handling. You know, you ask your significant other of their opinion, right? You collaborate on your findings, right? If they like it or not, thumbs up or not, right? Does it do everything you want it to do? I mean, by the time you're test driving your car, you've probably already made your selection. You've looked at all these other cars, right? And you know, does it that does it have all the check boxes, all the must-haves? You know, the nice to have, like that fuzzy dice on the rear view mirror, is really that important. You can get to that later. Um, you do want to do some emergency braking, you want to do some speed tests and the like, and find that the new car is up to snuff. You know, sure, you need to get used to how it drives, right? That's like with any system, any car you buy, it's, you know, it's a car, you've driven a car before, but it handles different, right? So there's a learning curve for it, for that new car. And like I said, if that ski rack isn't available now and it's mid-summer, well, no biggie. It's not the end of the world. So, you know, these are the pitfalls. You want to kind of have a look at how do you avoid these things. I think I've given you some great best practices and some structure and some ideas on what you want to do and, and follow. Follow these, and I can guarantee you, if you follow, follow the system, you will set yourself free and you'll have implementation success. If you need any help, I'm always here. So be sure to contact me if you need help with your and, and taking your Ivanti feed implementation to the next level.